Well, good evening. Hey, if you came in late, because I know how all of you are, you guys like ravage that table before I get back there. There's pie in the back. Apple pie. There's some cream pies. There's pumpkin pie. So feel free to seriously get up now or as we're going, um, grab a piece of pie, grab a cup of coffee as we go. This is, um, as you guys know, this is kind of a somewhat informal setting. We're around tables and it's just laid back. So feel free to get up. You're not interrupting anyone. If you need to get up and go grab, if you need, I should say, uh, if you would like to go back and grab a piece of pie or a cup of coffee or anything like that as we're going this evening. A um, couple of real quick announcements as we do. Um, a couple of real quick announcements. The fall food drive, uh, Pastor Tim Heist uh, was here a couple of weeks ago and announced just what, what our youth are doing with um, acquiring food, and then they're going to be really serving our community through different agencies around the community or over the next couple of weeks. And I know some of you came prepared. You've probably already seen the table out back collecting those, those goods, but if you uh, do have it and didn't see them there, they're back there. Um, and I want to just give a huge, huge thank you to all of our volunteers. Um, I put just some words in our, in our bulletin tonight, just trying to express my gratitude for how many people show up early in so many different capacities and do things that make, make this evening possible. Um, and there are people that are just tirelessly uh, doing it. In fact, you know, there's two young, young guys um, Devin and Caleb, you've probably seen them around. They show up like before anyone's here and they're putting, they're putting things on the tables and they're setting up and, and they're just doing so much. Would you just take a moment with me and just thank all of our volunteers who do so very much for us on Wednesdays? So deep, deeply grateful for that. Um, also really grateful for uh, Dr. Matt Hickey being with us last week and uh, just did such a, such a super job walking us through what it means to think wisely even about our bodies and health and, and that whole piece. If you have your Bibles with you this evening, in between bites of pie, uh, would you turn to, to the book of Proverbs? We're going to read Proverbs uh, chapter 8 and verses 1 through 11. If you have your smartphone or tablet or whatever, you can read it on there as well, or it'll be up on the screens. And then we're going to jump to verse 33 through 36. Proverbs chapter 8, the, the author begins by saying this, Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city at the entrance, she cries aloud, and this is her cry. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just, and none of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies. And nothing you desire compares with her. 
Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my door, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me, find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me, harm themselves. And all who hate me, love death. Throughout this series, this is, this is our last week. Uh, this is week 12. Uh, so you come back next week and it will be a cold, empty room. No one will be here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to pick back up in the spring with a different series. But we've, we've spent 12 weeks walking through these, these different themes that, that, that kind of emerge, pop their heads up, throughout all of the wisdom literature in the book of Proverbs. And there's, there's sort of this theme that, that every time we look at a proverb, that there's this theme that, that keeps reemerging amidst all of them that says you have to strive. You've got to work hard. You've got to pursue. You've got to doggedly run after. It's, it's, it's on you. You have to seek wisdom. You have to chase after it, almost, almost with a desperation, and, and kind of view wisdom as a commodity and, and say, I'm going to view it as a commodity, which has a higher uh, value than any other commodity that I interact with on a daily basis or that I see sold to me in advertisements or that, that I uh, live with on a regular daily basis. Um, in verse 10, wisdom speaks. We'll talk a little bit more about that, this whole idea of why is wisdom speaking. But wisdom is being personified here. And wisdom speaks and says, choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than gold, for knowledge is more precious than rubies. Nothing, nothing that you want, nothing on your bucket list, nothing you desire, nothing on your Christmas list. Nothing is better. Nothing has a higher value than this right here. You, if you knew what you wanted, you would want this, is what it's trying to say, more than anything else. So we've seen throughout this series that wisdom, and if I understand wisdom to be like, okay, wisdom is basically, I kind of get how the world works, and I, I shrewdly, yet with an innocent heart, navigate life circumstances. That's kind of what, what wisdom maybe, maybe is. That That is infinitely, and in fact, Let's kind of like write it as, a, as an equation. Wisdom, wisdom is greater than any possible set of circumstances that, that, that you could possibly conceive of, that you could possibly arrange if you had, if you had all resources in the world. Wisdom is greater than any possible set of circumstances you could, you could dream up in your life. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, of course, you're a preacher. Of course, you're going to tell us that, right? This is one of those kind of nice-sounding things that, yeah, it, it, it's a nice thing to say, and wouldn't it be good if everyone did that? But, again, that's, you know, that's your job. But in the real world, that's not necessarily the case, how it works out. But there's a problem with that line of thinking. There's a problem with that kind of immediate response, because I think we all have it. I think I have as I read scripture. I kind of, there's a sense of sort of like, okay, that's sort of like a, a Sunday school answer truth, but then there's the real world, you know, where I live with real things and real stuff and real relationships. But here's, here's the problem with that immediate response that I have in my heart oftentimes as I read scripture, is that if, if, if we all think carefully... And critically, we know this is true. 
when we really think deeply about it. And here's the reason why. The reason why wisdom is infinitely superior to the best possible set of circumstances you could imagine is because, number one, you will never get to that best possible set of circumstances. Now, you might say, okay, well, I don't need to have it perfect. I just need to have it pretty good. Okay. Even if you do get them, let's say there's a tiny portion of this room that actually are going to kind of manipulate and maneuver circumstances to how you want them. Even if you get them there, the second problem is you can't keep them there. They will eventually erode or fall apart in some way. Many of you will remember last year at the beginning of 2013, a guy in America, famous guy, does anyone know, turned 50 years old. Anyone remember? Anyone watch ESPN? Michael Jordan. There we go. Michael Jordan turned 50 years old this, this last year, at the beginning of the year. And there was all this, it was in the papers, and it was on news and all this stuff. Because, I mean, Jordan is this icon. And um, there was an ESPN senior um, writer who uh, did, spent some time with Jordan. He did an interview. He spent time with him. And then he wrote this article. Um, author's name is, Mike, is uh, Wright Thompson. And he wrote this fascinating article entitled, Michael Jordan Has Not Left the Building. And his whole point is Michael Jordan has, has revolutionized not just basketball, he's revolutionized the sports world across the globe like nobody else. This is a guy who has six rings. He's got six NBA titles. He has five MVPs. He has ten scoring titles. He has 14 all-star appearances. He, he is a two-time inductee into the Basketball Hall of Fame. He played, remember, on the original Dream Team on the USA's uh, men's Olympic basketball team. He is at the top of a billion-dollar Jordan brand of Nike. He's at the top of the Bobcats team. He has his own company with dozens of employees, dozens of contractors on his payroll. It's kind of funny, my son, Keaton, who's, uh, he's a sixth grader, about a year ago, he somehow, I don't even know how it happened, but like he got into Michael Jordan. And so he's got these posters up on his wall that were like up on the wall of like in my house when I was a kid growing up. And, and even though he's not playing anymore, he's like, he's just as pumped and into him. I mean, so much so that he plays at the basketball team at school and he, he finagled his way to get number 23 on his jersey. And he's just like so excited. He's so pumped. Um, but, you know, Jordan is one of these guys who has just like revolutionized the world of sports. He, he has this legacy that probably is really unmatched in our world, which is to say Jordan has the unique ability. He's one of the rare people in our world who, who had the ability to, to manipulate. I don't mean that in, in an evil way or rotten way but to organize circumstances to the very best possible way for his life, whatever he wants. In the article, the author Thompson talks about his security team has, has, has code names for everyone. You know, this guy's Lily and this guy's this. Jordan's code name is Yahweh. Yahweh is the Hebrew name for God. It's, it's the I am name. And he goes on to talk about this idea that said, for 30 years, Jordan has never walked into a room and not been the most important person in the room. He said, this is just the reality of things. He's never had that experience for 30 years. And this is the world. So circumstantially, he can, he can create any life he wants. He can do whatever he wants. He can have whatever he wants. 
And what's so interesting is that even after his retirement, you know, you know the third time, a couple years later, there's this interesting aspect that, that keeps coming out in this article. Let me, let me read for you Thompson, senior writer at ESPN, his words. He said, most people live anonymous lives, and when they grow old and die, any record of their existence is blown away. They're forgotten, some more slowly than others, but eventually it happens to virtually everyone. Yet for the few people in each generation who reach the very pinnacle of fame and achievement, he says there's a mirage that they see, like, like water out in the desert, and the mirage is immortality. It's this idea, and it kind of flickers. And he said these people start to believe that mirage. He says... Even after Jordan is gone, he knows people will remember him. Here lies the greatest basketball player of all time, will be on his epitaph. And then he writes, All that can happen in the days and years that follow is for the shining monument he built to be chipped away, to be eroded. And listen to this statement. Thompson writes, Jordan's self-esteem has always been, in his own words, quote, tied directly to the game. Without it, he feels adrift. He asks questions like, who am I? What am I doing? For the past 10 years since retiring for the third time, he has been running, moving as fast as he can, creating distractions, creating distance, he says, from that, that sort of nagging feeling of a loss of identity and who am I. In 2009, in his Hall of Fame speech, Jordan called the game of basketball his refuge. And he said, it is, quote, the place where I have gone when I needed to find comfort and when I needed to find peace. And yet three, now four years later, it's still elusive. He can't, he can't quite get it. And as his mortality becomes more like pungent and real, to him, as Jordan stares in the mirror, you know, wondering where to turn next and what to do, listen, listen to the two questions that he asks in this article. He says, these, these are the two big ones in my life. How can I enjoy the next 20 years without so much of this consuming me, this nagging feeling? And the second question, how can I find peace away from the game of basketball? Because that's where... I always, only time I ever got senses of peace, it was connected with that. It was, it was on the court. It was on the court in that way. See, even Michael Jordan finds himself at a place where he's struggling to, we would say, have wisdom, meaning I'm struggling to understand how to do life, how to navigate all of the circumstances, even though I can, I can, I can make it like a chess table, I can move all the pawns anywhere I want, but I'm having a hard time understanding, well, how do I do it in a way that makes me feel fulfilled and have value and purpose and, in his words, peace, even though circumstantially I can do whatever I want. See, that's why wisdom says here, verse 10, choose my instruction instead of silver, instead of the six rings. Go for what I've got. Knowledge rather than choice gold, wisdom more than precious rubies, because nothing you desire, nothing you think you desire, nothing you think you deeply want, nothing you've wanted all your life will be as good as what I can give you. 
See, greater than any circumstance is the ability to grow and develop and flourish regardless of that second category. That's a far more wonderful gift to have, and that's what wisdom allows you to do. That's the whole point here. Wisdom allows you to flourish, to have peace, to have a sense of meaning and purpose regardless of how this shakes up, because it'll shake up. It will. Even for the best of the best, the elite. We're not even in their category. So we have less hope than they do. But there's no possible way is the whole point. So if we're going to pursue this, this side, if we're going to pursue wisdom, okay, if you, okay, you kind of sold me a little bit. I don't really like the idea. I still kind of like category two. But okay, you, that's, that's kind of some good evidence. Maybe, maybe category one really does have something to say about it. If, if I'm really going to pursue that, what will that look like? Like, what, what, what will that be? Well, Proverbs chapter 8 gives us some key insight that we can lean into in order to discover further how we can really get that first category thing, this whole wisdom thing here. So take a look with you, with me if you would, even just starting in verse 1 and first, verse 2. Proverbs 8. We read, Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? Now look at, look at this next statement here. This is, this is the key that I want us to camp on here for a second. Does she not raise her voice where? At the highest point along the way. Now what is, why does he say the highest point along the way? Let's, let's talk geography and architecture for a second. Ancient cities typically reserved the, the highest locations in their city, if you think about kind of the geography of a city, typically reserved the highest locations uh, in their city for what the culture's core value was. Whatever the culture said was the most important thing about life, they, they would in some way enshrine that literally at a high place, at oftentimes the highest place in the city. So you go to Athens and you've got the Acropolis you have the Pantheon, uh, you have Mount Olympus, you go to Jerusalem, and back in the ancient days you had the temple. See, inside cities, on the highest place, you always put whatever society worshipped. Now, even, even in a secular society, worship I mean highest core value. Whatever you think you should mold your life around, whatever you think should be the greatest pursuit in life, whatever you think is most important, the sunum bonum as we talked about a while ago, the highest good in life, you put that at that high place on the city. And whatever is there tells society this is how you orient your life. This is what's important. This is what you pursue. This is how this is the filter through which you view your life, how you plan your dreams and make decisions. And so different ancient cities, whether they worshipped the god of war or the god of beauty or whether they thought learning and reason was at the top or whatever, knowledge, whatever it might be, that was literally the highest location. So whenever you looked, whatever your eye went to at the top, that was the top value. Do you think that's the same today? I wonder. Here's what I'd like you to do. Take three minutes at your table, and I want you to just answer this question. What are the highest buildings in our cities today, and what does that say about our culture's highest core value?
I'd be curious to know what you think, okay? What are the highest locations in a city? And what do we put on them? And if this is true, if this is true about cultures across the world, what does that say about our culture's highest core value? Okay, three minutes and then we'll pull back together. Okay, let me, let me get some kind of talk back from you guys. What, what, are some, what are some thoughts that came out in the group? What are represented by the highest places you would say in our cities? What did you guys come up with? Banks. Banks. Okay. National monuments. Okay, not, not church spires or steeples as much anymore. Some small towns. Education buildings, universities, schools, learning, corporations, commerce, business, right? 
What else? Sports, sports complexes, huge stadiums. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? If, if this is a true theory, which is kind of fascinating to think about, if this is a true theory, is this an interesting way for us to kind of keep our, our finger on the pulse of what's going on in our culture? Like, what are, what's the water that I'm swimming in that I don't even know it? What, what are our culture's highest values? <clears throat> is, is it profit? Is it adventure? Is it education? You know, what, what's, what's at the very top? But I think it is pretty much the same. I don't think it's any different today than it was in the ancient <clears throat> world. Um, now, think about this. In New York City, when, you know, in 9-11, when the Twin Towers were attacked, why were they attacked? Well, it was certainly an attack on commerce. It was an attack, it was, it was an attempt to make us financially unstable. But it was also, in their thinking, an attack on our national identity. So they would view it as commerce. That's the highest core value in America. And if we can knock the highest core value off... We've done more than just impacted them financially. It's been a hit to identity, which is huge. Think about Jesus' words. <clears throat> when Jesus, in Matthew chapter 24, brought final judgment on national Israel, what did he go to to do that? He went to the temple. You remember what he said? Not one stone will be left on another. It will all be knocked down. Now, why did he do that? Because the core value of it had been, remember when he was in there just the day before? He said, it is to be a place of connection for every ethnic group with the triune God. His language of, it's to be a house of prayer for all nations, right? That was the core value. But, it's been hijacked. It's now they've made it a den of thieves. The core value has been hijacked, it's been thrown off. And so Jesus brings, claiming to have the authority to do it, which is why it was so shocking... Judgment on the temple, and in 70 AD, the general, Roman general Titus comes through Jerusalem when they're finally sick of Israel pushing back, and they say, we're going to wipe it out once for all. What do they go after? The temple. Not, it's not that everyone was at the temple, but they destroyed the temple, and they fulfilled Jesus' prophecy. Not one stone, and still to this day, was left on Another, they went after what it was that was the highest core value in that culture. Um, number one in your outline, you've got a couple blanks to fill in there. <clears throat> number one, the, the person of wisdom examines his or her high places. If you are a wise person, you will examine what are the high places in my life. And I wonder, like, if you could just think about that for just, if you could pause... And just in your mind, in your heart, kind of ask that question. Was it, what is it in your life that has the place of highest importance? If you could kind of view the geography and the architecture of your inner world and your heart, what would be the highest places? Um, these will be the things that, that, that you value the most. These will be the things that these values will, will tend to control your life, your decisions, your thoughts, your minds. These will be the things that will often uh, dictate choices you make, how you live. And they can even sometimes keep you from enjoying life because of how much you almost addictively pursue them in some way. So how, 
okay, how do you even identify him? Let me, let me give you just one little statement that, that is, it was kind of revolutionary for me when I heard it. Here's one way to kind of root out some of those high places in your life. Um, Archbishop William Temple had this phenomenal statement. I love this. He said, your religion is your solitude. Your religion is your solitude. Here's what he meant. What you think of when you have nothing else to think of is your religion. That's your God. When your mind goes steady, when the, all the activities stop, whatever it is that your mind constantly seems to be going to, that's your God. That's your highest core value. That's the thing that drives your life. Your religion is your solitude. Uh, Tim Keller says, um, it is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there is nothing else demanding your attention. <laughs> this is why in, in Christian spiritual formation, there's a discipline called the discipline of solitude. And that's why it's so important. Or the discipline of silence. Because it's at those times, not that you fix anything necessarily, it's at those times that, that God points out and says, this is, this is my rival this is your real religion. This is, this is your real God. Look, look where your thoughts constantly go the minute you get quiet, the minute the radio goes off, or the minute there's no noise. And that's a gift, because the gift is what it does is it lets me go, whoa, my heart's going in like a way different direction than I, when I really think about that than I thought it was. What, what do you daydream about? What do you constantly find yourself developing potential scenarios around is it is it getting a new home uh is it is it dating maybe a particular person is it is it being married is it is it having more money or getting that raise or getting a particular uh job a keller also says this one or two dreams do not indicate idolatry <laughs> ask rather what do you habitually think about to get joy and comfort in the privacy of your heart, in those, in those solitude moments? That's a great question. If, if, if you and I just did that this week, I wonder what, what things God would sort of identify, point out things we've been absolutely blind to in our life, even this week. Ask God this week to help you be aware of what really are your high places in your life. What, what are the real idols? The second thing that Proverbs tells us about becoming a wise person, number two, in your outline... The person of wisdom doesn't live compartmentalized. The person of wisdom does not compartmentalize their life. See, God's wisdom, here's the point. God's wisdom refuses to stay at home. But it insists on being everywhere. It insists on being in the public square. It insists on being in your relationship. It insists on being at work. It insists on being in your... Everything you do, God's wisdom insists on going there. That's why we read, she calls out, verse 3, beside the gate leading into the city. Now, what does that mean? Well, the gate was a place where, where the elders, the wise people, the older people, the elders sat and they, they heard legal cases. This is the justice system of the day. This is the justice system of the city. Also, verse 2, uh, she calls out and insists on being heard where the paths meet. And what's that? 
The paths meet anywhere the big roads intersect or where marketplaces are in the ancient world. This is, industry, this is commerce. We talked about this a second ago. Wisdom insists, God's wisdom insists on being in the marketplace, in commerce, in business. Wisdom insists in being in the commercial realm. God says, no, wisdom is, it's, it's not just about what you do at home. It's not just about what you do at church. What God is saying is that when it comes to being a Christian, if you call yourself an apprentice of Jesus, there are no dividing lines. He's saying, um, here's what I want you to do with your money, is what God says. Here's what I want you to do with your family. Here's what I want you to do with your time. Here's what I want you to do with your sexuality. Here's what I want you to do with your career. What he's saying is, I stake a claim on every aspect of your life. There's not one aspect, even, even like the inside ones, meaning the ones that no one else sees. I stake a claim on literally every aspect of your life because I have, a, I have staked a claim on you. See, what you and I need to do is to discover God's core value. What, what, what he would put at the, at the top, the high place. And then start to reinterpret our lives, our sexuality and our relationships and our industry and commerce and our purchases and everything we do through that new lens, that new core value. Do you know what that's called? There's a word for that. Discipleship. That's it. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is, is learning what is it, God, that you say is the top, the core value. What do you place at the high place? And then I interpret my life and my story and everything I do through that lens. That's what discipleship is. Number three, the person of wisdom yokes him or herself with the person of wisdom. Verses 4 through 11 is, is, is kind of this unique thing where um, I... I we alluded to this earlier. It's called the personification of wisdom. That means speaking of wisdom, which is you know, an impersonal thing, speaking of wisdom as though it is a person. It's, and this is just a literary device. <clears throat> you know, we do this all the time. It's to speak of less personal things as though they had personality. You know, we say things like justice is blind right? and sometimes deaf. We're making a comment about how justice works in relationship to something else. Money is the only friend that I can count on. I'm making a comment about my assurance and, and where it is. The world will chew you up and spit you out. I'm making a comment about the relationship between the difficulties of me and my relationship with the world. We personify non-personal things in order to explain a relationship that exists between it. So here's the question. Why in the world does Proverbs speak of wisdom as a woman? Verse, well, I think about it this way. Do you remember, do you remember like, I'll just speak to the guys in the room. Do you remember like when you were in middle school or high school or some of you elementary school and you first like started noticing girls, you know, like you're kind of interested? I, I remember when I was in ninth grade, there, there was this girl who, uh, I'd never even talked to her. But she was in the high school that I went to. And her, my locker was inside the cafeteria, and her locker was on the outside, like on the other wall. And all of my classes went in every single possible direction except where her, like the hallway where her locker was. And I remember, like, after class, especially certain classes, I would always walk by, like, through that hall, you know, and, and just kind of like, you know, hoping, you know, that they'd be like, well, hey, 
hey, who are you? I'm like, me? You know, like you're wanting to get noticed. I'm like going out of my way to like, you know, I want to. I want to kind of talk to her. You know, I want to be noticed by her. I'm, I'm intentionally seeking some sort of interaction with her in this way. That's what Proverbs is saying. That's, that's what it's describing here. Look at, look at verse 34. Wisdom, this is the woman. Okay, wisdom, you know, personified as a woman says, the wise person is, is watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. This guy is like stalking wisdom. I mean, that's like almost creepy, but that's what she's describing. It's like you have to be like a stalker of wisdom. You have to, you have to like want it, think about it, talk about it, kind of like, you know, you're always, it's like you're waiting for her to come out of the door. You're waiting for her to show up at the locker. That's the kind of passion that he's talking about is required here. So in verse 10 when he says, or when wisdom says, choose my instruction instead of silver, um, nothing else compares to her. She says, listen to my instruction. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. Find me and you'll find life. Find me, I'm sorry, fail to find me and you'll find harm for yourself. Hate me and you're going to love death. And see, what we're told is this. We're told that if, huge, huge if, capital I, capital F, if you seek wisdom passionately, wholeheartedly, think about the things it says. You'll be blessed. You'll have life. You'll avoid death. You'll be favored by God. All these things. If what? If you pursue wisdom wholeheartedly. But I don't know about you. That's not good news for me. You know why? Because I don't do that. My best of intentions. I, I do it at moments. I do it at times. But see, how many of you perfectly, wholeheartedly are in pursuit of wisdom? I mean, raise your hand if you're just wholeheartedly. That means wholeheartedly. That means there's not a shred of your heart that is not. I can't, I can't put my hand up for that. No one, no one has a completely, fully renovated, dedicated, whole heart God, whole heart dedicated toward God. The only way I'll ever really flourish in my life is if I'm a perfect seeker. Crud. You know why crud? Because here's what the Bible tells me. No one seeks wholeheartedly. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 3. And he's not just saying this on his own. He's quoting from the Psalms. And he's pulling a bunch of psalms together. In Romans 3.10, he says, There is no one righteous. That means your, your heart is wholehearted in one direction toward God. He says, not even one. Not even MJ. He says, there is no one who understands. Oh, that's a wisdom word. There is no one who seeks God with that kind of heart. He says, all have turned away. They have together lost their worth. There is no one who wholeheartedly does good, not even one. So what do we do? I mean, I just, you know, scriptures told me, without this, your life is going to stink. Like, it's going to be horrible, horrible, no matter what you do over here. It's going to be awful. <laughs> you will not flourish in life. And guess what? You can't do it. Woo! I mean, that's not good news. It's like, it's like a promise, it's a carrot, but it's saying... You're not going to be able to really do it on your own. So what do I do? I need wisdom to live. 
and yet she's too fast. I can't even find her at the locker. I can't even chase her down. No matter how much I pursue her, I can't do it right. Well, what if, and this is a huge what if, this is huge. What if wisdom pursued you? Because you need it, or you'll die, and, and you can't catch her. But, but what, if you were, what if you were the chase? What if you were the woman? And what if wisdom was the man pursuing you, hunting you down, finding your locker, hiding inside your locker when you open it up, constantly going after you? What if wisdom came to you, not in, not in abstract principles, like here's ten rules to live a good life. What, what if wisdom came to you as a person? Oh, that'd be a game changer, right? Because wisdom's cool, but when it's just ideas and all that sort of thing. But what if wisdom, full, full wisdom, not like a wise person. I'm not talking about like Yoda. I'm talking about wisdom itself. The essence of wisdom was actually a person. And that person was hunting you down. See, if that were the case, you wouldn't have to wait at wisdom's door. You wouldn't have to wait at the doorframe. Because what if this wisdom said, Revelation 3.20, Here I am, I stand at your door, and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. What if, what if you didn't just have to learn? You didn't have to go to school and have all these principles and learn wisdom. But, but what, if, what if wisdom in a person said to you, Take my yoke upon you. Now, yoke is an old picture of, you know, animals would wear it. And he's saying, it's my yoke. I'm the one doing the work and you put it on and then it becomes the easy life. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, not from a principle, not from a book. Learn from me as we do life together because I'm gentle. I'm not going to run you over. And I'm humble of heart. And you'll find rest. You'll find peace. That's that thing that Jordan wanted so badly. You'll find that thing you've been looking for your whole life. What if we don't need to just discover what it is that the core value is of God and try to build a city and I try to find the highest place and we kind of try to institute it in our culture, the highest place for the highest value. But what if wisdom, John 3.14, said just as Moses was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. What if wisdom was lifted up to the highest place, but the way he was lifted up was not the way we thought it would happen? What if he consumed evil by being defeated? What if he destroyed brokenness and wickedness by swallowing it up? See, wisdom is seeking you like a lover doggedly pursuing you like like a stalker but in a good way <laughs> see remember remember the age michael jordan's question you know the you know now 51 year old michael jordan's question this lingering question how can i find peace away from the game of basketball see here what here's what i would suggest michael jordan never had peace he had triumph he had fame but he didn't have peace. See, a guy had invented a game called basketball, 
and it brought him a sense of purpose and value and peace, but it was only that. It was a sense. It was a shadow, and in that sense, it was a counterfeit to real peace. The reason why Michael Jordan will never find life or find peace outside of the game of basketball is the same reason why he will never find it inside of the game of basketball. It's not there. See, the peace that Jordan was looking for, the peace that I am looking for, and I guarantee you the peace that you are looking for, it's not available on a basketball court. It's not available on a golf course. It's not available on a blackjack table. It's only available on a little hill outside Jerusalem where wisdom, full wisdom, actually came down, went to the highest place, but was consumed in that place, was destroyed, and hung in the place of sinners, people who want want to be like Mike, people who want to be wise, people who want to be fill-in-the-blank but can't. They can't do it because we're not fast enough, we're not smart enough, we're not good enough, but he was good enough for us. That's it. And that's, that's this little thing that we do every week. We have five stations around the room where we have a piece of bread and we have a cup. And these elements symbolize that God did it. He said, this is, this is the highest core value right here. And he put it in the highest place in the city. And he said, there's no compartmentalization. This will fix every part of your life. It'll go into the deepest recesses of who you are, and you will finally have peace. So that's what we celebrate. During this, during this song, I want you to listen to these words. Listen to the non-compartmentalization of these words. And if you're a follower of Jesus, during this next song, I'm going to ask you to come to one of the five stations around the room. Take, take the cup, take the bread, and then on your own, take it. Go back to, go back to your seat or up here. And ask God to examine you. Ask God to look, look at the high places in your life. And then we'll come back together and pray. What we want tonight, that's what we want tomorrow, is, is that Christ would authentically, truly, not, not in vain words, but in an actuality of a heart which is oriented in the direction of saying that you are our everything, which is to say you are the foundation of all of life, that everything else we do in life is, is built on that foundation. And if we lay any other foundation, it will and it will fall apart. So God, I, I, just, I just want to thank you, Lord, for these last 12 weeks. God, this opportunity to, to look in your word, to look in scripture, to be challenged by what it means to live a wise life. And God, I pray that we walk away not thinking that we can do it on our own and we can be real wise and flourish in life, but, but that we would have a deeper sense of dependency upon you. And that we would see it's only in relationship with your son. God, that, that we can really not just do wise things, but be, we can be wise people. So, Lord, I pray for us as we go, as we go into holidays and just some difficulties. I know a lot of people struggle with relational things going on and awkward situations. Give us deep wisdom, Lord, we pray. James says if we ask it, that you'll give it to us. And so we ask it, God. We need wisdom. Would you bring all of us back together in the new year? Thanks for this community, God. Thanks for relationships that have been built. Thank you for things you're doing. We love you. And we all said together,
Amen. Amen. You guys, thank you so much for being here. Grab another piece of cake. Our prayer team will be up front. I love you guys so much. Uh, We're starting January 14th again, so enjoy your Christmas and Thanksgiving break.